Though we weren't able to meet last week, I do hope that you were able to stay warm and have a good Sunday with your family. Last week, we were able to record and post online a video recording part of the sermon for the first time, actually. This is mainly possible because of our recently acquired internet service provider. Uh, we were able to upgrade uh, our internet service and finally able to, to upload videos, which is pretty awesome. Um, we're going to be posting some more stuff. We're trying to do different things to be able to serve you guys. Um, and if we continue, we will have to make some changes, but we really hope that you've been able to enjoy these in this way. Now, over the past several months, we have been and we will continue to memorize a portion of scripture that we like to call the Romans Road. Now, while there are many ways to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ, we know that knowing scripture, knowing exactly what God's word says, is incredibly important. This week, we're still on Romans 6.23. Now, if I give you the blanks, can you fill it in? Do you know it yet? I'll give you just a second. Now, if you're having some struggle, uh, or maybe even if you already know these, the way this goes is, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are going to continue to take away more and more words until we're left with nothing, so hopefully this has been helpful as we attempt to memorize these verses together. Over the last several weeks during the Christmas season, we have taken a break from our big picture overview of the Bible and have been focusing in on the events and the people surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. So far, we have looked at Mary's birth announcement from the angel. That same week, we looked at her aunt and her uncle and their miraculous circumstances as well. We have also looked at all the people who were the first witnesses to Jesus' birth. Something I've purposely not focused on until this point is both the character of Mary and Joseph. This week, I want to focus on these two people that the God of the infinite, the one who is without time, chose to raise his own son. Think about it for just a second. Of all the people of all time, of billions of people choices, of all time periods, God chose these two at this time. But why? Hopefully, we'll shed some light on that by the end of today. So today's sermon is titled, The Character of Faithful Servants. The Character of Faithful Servants. Now, before we get into looking at their character, I would like to take a look at an external reason as to why these two were chosen. Now, the first thing we're going to look at today is the inheritance of Joseph. You see, the passages we're going to be looking at today come from both Matthew and Luke. Matthew and Luke are the only two gospel writers who really focus in on the events surrounding Jesus' birth. In fact, they focus on different aspects, which actually gives us a more complete picture of what is going on. Both accounts have genealogies. Matthew traces Jesus back to Abraham in chapter 1, and Luke traces Jesus back to Adam in chapter 3 of his gospel. If you remember, we have already talked a bit about how Jesus has no earthly father. So we ask, how does he have a genealogy? As our genealogies come from our fathers. When my mother married my stepfather, I was in fourth grade. In light of their marriage, I was first I was now given the option to change my last name at birth to his last name. It had become my legal right if I chose. If the opportunity was taken, I would have a new name and a new identity, and I also became one of his heirs. Should he have anything of value to pass on in the event of his death, I would become an inheritor. In the time that Jesus was born in Israel, as we are adopted by a father, 
he would become a part of his father's family line. Jesus' earthly father was Joseph, and Joseph, as it happened, was a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and eventually King David. His family line was the chosen kingly line. So having Joseph as a father gave him the adoption rights to become the legitimate king of Israel. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, some of this may sound familiar. Jesus knows what it's like to inherit another's name, another's position. He had this inheritance from Joseph because of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf. We, too, can also know the same. So hold your place in Matthew here and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The New Testament actually has a running under-theme of inheritance and adoption. I want you to take a look at the next couple of verses that kind of span the New Testament. First comes from Colossians 3.24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance serve the Lord Christ. Or Hebrews 9.15, And for this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant, by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And the last one we're going to look at today is 1 Peter 1.4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. Now, inheritance by adoption is something that God has planned for through the birth of Jesus. We receive our inheritance through the faith in Christ. In our day, many more are finding that their families or more and more families around them are being separated. Having non-biological parent in the family is more and more common. Regardless of our circumstances, God knew this would happen. He kept his word relevant to us by showing us that he was in a situation where he too knows what it's like to have to pass your child off to the care of another for a time. Think about that. God, the Father, had to pass off Jesus, the Son, to care of Mary and Joseph, he had to trust them. He had to trust their decisions and their character. And choosing them, this shows that God trusted both Mary and Jesus to be godly influences on Jesus' life. That he found character traits in them that he liked. The first traits we're going to look at are found in Joseph. So turn back with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 18 through 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child in the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being just a man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Now, this is something we learn about Joseph, that he was a man of integrity. If you are familiar with the biblical account, Joseph has proposed marriage to Mary, and she has formally accepted. During this time, after the acceptance, but before the wedding day, the couple would act like they were married, as they wouldn't see anyone else, and they would consider each other's wishes and best interests, but they were not allowed to be together as man and wife, and this was reserved explicitly for the marriage day. In this passage, Joseph has just found out that Mary is pregnant. Joseph knows one thing. The baby is not his. And at this point, Joseph has two legal options. First, he could have her publicly stoned to death. He would bring charges against her for violating the marriage pact, and she would clearly be found guilty and she would be brought out to the public space. Everyone would take up stones, and he would toss the first. Then everyone else would throw a stone at her until she was dead. It seems a bit drastic. 
But we know this practice was still used, especially as the crowds did this to a man named Stephen later in the book of Acts. They also tried to do this to both Jesus and to Paul later in the Gospels and in the book of Acts as well. The second option that Joseph had was to dissolve the marriage. It was the more righteous option. What was probably the most intriguing part of his decision is that he wanted to do it secretly. Joseph had the full rights to have every severe consequence come upon Mary. But in his kindness, he chose to do the most honorable thing for her. The thing that would give her the least amount of shame. But this isn't where the story ends. Pick it back up with me in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25. It says this, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took for his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now if it wasn't for the intervention of the angel's message, Joseph would have divorced Mary. But if you notice, not only was he already considering the most respectful way of bowing out of the marriage, but he also obeys the word of the Lord. Joseph trusted God even when he didn't know all the answers. We know this not only from his words, but from his actions. Even his thoughts were pointed towards righteous actions. And that brings me to the second thing that we learn about Joseph. Joseph was right, just in God's eyes. No matter what your lot in life, as a Christian, you are called to walk in his example of Christ on earth. From Joseph we learn, God is looking for people who have integrity, who show righteousness by their decisions. He is looking to work through you if you are willing to obey him, even when you don't have all the information or facts, just like Joseph. Think about the position that Joseph had to put himself into by not canceling the marriage to Mary. Everyone, repeat, everyone would know, and you can see my quotation hands here, know for certain that Mary and Joseph violated their marriage by being together before being married. In this day and age, you would have attained something like a leper status. Everyone would look at you like you were covered in sores. You would have been shunned by the entire village, and everyone would have thought that they knew the truth. Have you ever had people around you, friends, family, the people in town, look at you and treat you like you've done something horrible, even though you've done nothing of the sort? This was their life in a small town, every day, all day. Now Joseph is visited by an angel once more, and what is interesting about Joseph is that the angel always seems to appear to him in his dreams. In fact, there are several different angelic appearances. The first time is in 120, then he's been warned to flee from Herod. In 212, he was told it was safe to come back. 219, finally he was to avoid coming home. In chapter 222, time after time, he shows that he was a man who listens to God's instructions. He not only hears what is said, but he obeys automatically. Seeing without question, again and again, he listens to God's voice. Joseph married a woman that was pregnant, even when it would look bad on him. He moved his wife and newborn child to another country at a moment's notice in obedience to the dream that he was given. Though the thought of moving back to their hometown and all of the old looks 
probably made moving to Egypt seem a little bit easier. After living in Egypt for a time, after most likely establishing a life there, he again was willing to move at God's command to pick up everything and to go back even when life was probably finally becoming comfortable. Think about it. In Egypt, they would have escaped the stigma of how Mary was pregnant. In Egypt, they had to start over, but it was a fresh start. They also had gifts from the wise men to help pay their way for a time. In some ways, I think the decision to come back to Israel would have been a harder one to listen to than it was to leave. But more about that in a minute. God didn't only choose Joseph. He also chose Mary. In Mary, we see more qualities that God looks for in those who would serve him. The first thing we learn about Mary is that Mary's life was defined by her faith. We have already touched on this a couple of sermons ago. If you will turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1, you will find a familiar verse. In verse 26, the angel appears to her and he says that she is blessed and that something special is going to happen to her. So let's skip ahead a couple and read verses 30 through 33. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest, of the Lord God. And he will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary accepts the news in verse 38, and then comes her response. It says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to me to your word. And the angel departed from her. Right from the very beginning, the first thing we learn from Mary is that she believes God at his word. She accepts it. But Mary and her willingness to accept God at his word should not imply to you that she was unwise or cavalier in what she did. In fact, I would say the opposite is true. We learn from scripture that Mary was a thinker. She pondered things before opening her mouth. She thought things through before starting her opinion. Skip ahead just a couple of verses to Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. While you're finding your place, if you listen to last week's sermon, it's up on our Facebook page, by the way, you may remember that a group of smelly, dingy, and very excited shepherds suddenly descended upon her and Joseph with great news of an angel coming out of nowhere and telling them about a Savior's birth. Think about it. Mary and Joseph didn't know where they were going to spend the night. Remember how the story goes? There was no room for them at the inn, so they had to ask around until someone offered an open stable area. They probably wandered long, around long enough that they barely even knew where they were. They settled in for the night, and then Jesus is born. And then, without warning, a bunch of shepherds burst onto the scene, describing an amazing encounter. And here is Mary's reaction. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe laying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told by them to the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, and she pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told to them. Did you catch that? Verse 19 says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary sat there and she wondered what could all this mean, if it all could be true. She didn't just assume, she thought her situation through quietly and purposefully. Mary reflected on the events. There's an old illustration that I'm reminded of when I hear this account. A speaker I once heard some time back said that when we encounter a Bible verse, we are starting to learn, or maybe just coming to understand for the first time, we should act like a cow. 
He said, and you may have heard this before, that cows have more than one stomach. When they chew grass and swallow it, it can be regurgitated and chewed again. It becomes known as cud. Now, when you and I chew grass, we get little to no nutrition out of it, just an upset stomach. But God designed cows to get the most nutrition out of the grass, and as a result, they will munch on it more than once. We can learn from Mary that we should ponder, think, think over, revisit that which God is doing in our lives, so that we can learn more thoroughly from what he is doing. When you are trying to memorize scripture, don't just look at it once. Look at it again and again throughout the day, at different times, in different places. You may well find that it will take new meaning if you do this, and thus you will get more out of it. The last thing I want to point out about Mary and Joseph is that they faced the world together. Now I'm assuming that they had their disagreements. They were both born sinners. But they went through life together. What is probably the most telling of their strength of character, because of their commitment to one another, is where they came from and where they ended up. If you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26, you will find this is where Gabriel is sent to find them. It says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent to God, by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So he was sent there. As verse 27 tells us, this is where both Mary and Joseph were from, Nazareth. Not long after Mary becomes pregnant, they have to go to Jerusalem to be counted at for the tax. If you flip back over to Matthew chapter 2, we will find that the wise men have finally landed on the scene, and this is what they find in 2.11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You'll notice several things from this passage. First, they are in a house. They no longer are in the hay. Second, the Bible says young child. If you go into the Greek, there is some wording for the baby that we would coin toddler. The word child is used as someone that is no longer an infant. This makes more sense when Herod orders the senseless slaughter not of newborns, but also of toddlers. This means that after they were counted, they stayed, not wanting to go back home. Sadly, it doesn't last, as in just the next verse, Joseph is warned and told to flee to Egypt. After being in Egypt for a time, though, they were told to return to Israel. Now, does anyone know where they go to? If you look down just a couple verses to verse 22, you'll find this. But when he, speaking of Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside to go to the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophets, that he shall be called a Nazarene. It would have taken great strength of character to finally decide to go home. They would have had to work together as they were going back into probably the toughest situation they could have. The small town would still have been a buzz, hopefully it would have down, died down a bit, but you know how small towns can be. Today we have looked at how God used adoption in the life of Jesus to give an image of how he uses spiritual adoption in our lives. We have looked at Joseph who was a man of strong conviction who lived out his beliefs in his actions. He was described in the Bible as a righteous man, even when he personally wronged. He had the quality of being sensitive to somebody else's shame. We also looked at Mary, how she was defined by her faith, how instead of insisting that she knew everything, she took the time to take in what was happening. 
She meditated on her circumstances. She learned from them before she reacted. It reminds me of a verse in James chapter 1, verse 19. We are to be quick to hear and slow to speak, much like Mary. We have seen a couple work, and they worked through the toughest of circumstances, and they pelled together because of their faith in God and their willingness to work with each other. God called these two people out to become the earthly parents of his own son. He chose them not because they were perfect, but because of the character traits they possessed and their willingness to listen to his leading. When other people look at you, what do they see? Do they see a grumpy grump just trying to make it through the season? Do they see someone who has allowed their life to be defined by fear? Or do they see someone who is humbly walking with their God, patiently waiting on him as he leads? In Christ, we have been adopted and given a new identity, each one of us. My question for you is, have you let it define you? Let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we can learn for it. Lord, help us be like the cow, to chew on the cud, to remember this and to recall it often, to think it through, not just to let it pass by, but to learn from it and really soak it all in. I thank you so much for sending your son, and I thank you for the things you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.